Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast, co-starring 10-year NBA center Ryan Hollins. Triple pump fakes, leads it, shot blocked by Ryan Hollins. Hollins sent that into the third row. Six rebounds and eight assists. Hollins climbs the stairs. Down the floor. Ryan Hollins, he is the high jumper. That's what I want to see. Give me some gunpowder and throw the hammer down. And now, here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. Welcome to another episode of Buecher and Blackman, subsidiary of Buecher and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rick Buecher. You can also find me on Instagram at Rick underscore Buecher. He is Will Blackman. You can follow him. Well, you know who he is. NFL vet, Super Bowl champ. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Will Blackman. And he's a good follow. That's B-L-A-C-K-M-O-N for those of you who have not found him yet. But you, prior to the show, went to see Godzilla with your son, Ryder, if I'm not mistaken. I did. Uh, we went with my father-in-law, Craig. Okay. And Ryder, he won. He's a big, so big Godzilla three generations fan. going to check out Godzilla. Yeah, he's a big Godzilla fan, you know. So he knows all the characters and Ryder is what's going. Ryder is yes, okay. yeah. That's him though. He's into Titans, those type of monsters and dinosaurs, and he knows every kind of dinosaur you can think of, hands down. So, also with Ryder, I just got his report card. Straight A's. How about that? When did he get out of school? school? Um, he got out a couple, like a week ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. My my kids, it's it's interesting how the school. He's eight and he's in a private school. Okay. My kids are older and they're in a private school. They were out like at the end of May, beginning yeah. of June, and they were probably out a week or two earlier than their friends, who were in the local public school. It's just it, it it's interesting to me. I don't remember I don't remember school years being as staggered as seemingly they are from region to region, school to school. Like everybody's taking their own approach to what Well my nephew is in a public school and he got out the end of May as well. Okay. You know what's 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 fascinating to me, and I don't know if it's with private schools but uh, or just private schools, but in California, the number of vacation weeks 
spread throughout the year. You have spring break. That feels like it's a week. You have ski week. That's a whole week. And then you have, obviously, the the normal holidays where you get off well before Christmas and you're off until like past New Year's. I don't remember it being that way. I don't remember having that kind of time off during the during the year. Yeah, he yeah, because like his his winter break is long. Yeah, I, I, I'm, his, I, I his feel, winter break is like like we can go on vacation during his winter break. Yes, yes, I feel as if this is a way of not of paying teachers less. I mean, not not paying teachers more. I don't There's know. just more time off, so they can go <laughs> off and be baristas or whatever else they they need to do to subsidize their their income. All right, um, Godzilla is that did that just come out? Uh, it came out the end of May. I think beginning of June. Yeah, like June 1st, I think that's when it came out. Okay. Yeah, I, was, I felt like it has been out for a while. I was a little surprised. It has when, been. When you said that yeah. you were going to see it. All right. In any event, we have other things that are happening that are a little more current. They haven't happened yet. The big one is free agency, obviously. The other one is the NBA, NBA draft, which just transpired a couple of days ago. And as someone who has been through the draft process, when you watched, there's two things, and we, Ryan Hollins and I talked about this a little bit the other day. When you watched the kids crying when they were drafted, what was your, did you cry? What was your emotion? Hell no, I didn't cry. <laughs> why, why hell no? You watched everybody cry who went in the first round. Oh, so it's it's a matter of where you get picked? Yes. <laughs> I've seen guys who cried because they got picked later than they thought. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that too, yeah. I mean, cry for disappointment. Yes. There are some guys who cried because they didn't think they had a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some guys who cried because they worked hard to get an opportunity. And I've seen guys, you know, cry and celebrate when they went sixth round. Yeah. For me, what happened was... So I was... I had a double-edged sword. Like, obviously, everybody knows my story. I played offense and defense. Mm-hmm. Jack of all trades. Didn't really master one, but I can do everything. So when I was being evaluated, some like me at receiver, some like me at corner. You know, I took a pre-draft visit to the Steelers. They said, hey, man, we got to pick at 32. We like you, you know, at receiver, maybe in the first. And then I go and talk to Atlanta, they would say, hey, you know, if we end up not getting drafted, we like you as a free agent receiver. Right. I talked to the Herm Edwards when he was in Kansas City. They loved me in the second round as a corner. So my range was like one through five. I didn't know where I was going to go. So when you're getting all when you're getting all that kind of feedback, how do you not begin to entertain the idea that you're going to be a first round pick? Because, you, I mean, I hear all kinds of things. Yeah. You, you, hear, you hear all these ranges of what's going on. The draft was was exciting for me, but here's the kicker is when you're watching the draft and you see guys that you dominated mm-hmm. get get picked up ahead of you. Ahead of you. Yeah. That's where it's like come on now. Well, but don't you already question the wisdom or the the astuteness of teams? When they're telling you where they're going to pick you, and you're thinking, "Oh, dude, you got a completely wrong read, good or bad." Like somebody says you're a first round pick, and you're kind of assessing the the talent. And you're going, "Wow, 
I'd like to be a first round pick, but that even might be high for me. Or somebody says like, hey, you know, we'll pick you up as a free agent like the, 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 the Falcons did. Do you judge the acuity of various teams based on what you have a feel for when you say, you know what, I know I'm, I'm, when, when I look at the, 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 the talent that's out there, this is where I feel like this is about right. Somebody describing who I am and what I do best. Like, I got to think that you get a feel for that from teams. And when they describe you in ways where you go, I don't know if they really know what, who I am or what I'm good at. Did, did you ever, did you experience that? Um, I did. You know, I, I honestly thought Kansas City was, I was going to go there. I, they met with me so many times, Coach Herm Edwards. I thought that was going to be the place. Hmm. Um, yeah, and when I talked to, I played one year as a receiver. And when I talked to the Steelers, I talked to Coach um, Coach Cowher, Bill Cowher, and he he was like, hey, man, you know, we like you. We They, they pretty much don't say where we're going to pick you. They tell us, like, the picks that they have. Right. And they say, hey, we got a 32, we got the 32nd pick, and we, you know, it's a good spot right there. We like. They end up getting Santonio Holmes. That worked out for them. Mm-hmm. That worked out for them. Yeah, I was not upset when they got him. <laughs> yeah, right. right. It's it was other defensive backs. I'm like, man. Not only that, but I seen these guys at the combine. I seen these guys at Senior Bowl. Oh, I played. I played again. They actually covered me. There was some, you know. And I'm like, Shh, wow, you know. So when I, I, it was a blessing to get the call. You know, one, I got the call in, in the fourth round, and then it was happened to be Green Bay. I was like, dude, where is Green Bay? <laughs> I was like, oh. So, how, how much interaction another- had you had with them? Here, this was interesting too. So at the at the combine, I met with um, Coach Jimmy, who was the receivers coach, and he grilled me on X's and O's. You know, he he was like, "Hey, you know, put me on the board." And luckily, I had a really good offensive coordinator in Dana Weibel, who now is with Chip Kelly at UCLA as a senior advisor. But he taught me a lot of the X's and O's. So I killed that. And then when they called me, I was like, "Oh shoot!" You know, I'm probably gonna be catching passes from Brett Favre. You know, he's going to be my quarterback. And they said, yeah, it was George Koontz that called. He said, hey, yeah, well, you know, we're going to get you with this next pick. Uh, you know, uh, one four, I think it was 114, I forget. Uh, yeah, we like you at defensive back. We're going to pick you as a corner. I was like, all right, cool. You know. Huh. And then, yeah, and then I got the call. I was away from home because I was getting annoyed. I came back home. My dad was excited. Everybody was excited. And I was like, all right, you know, let's go do it. So where were you when the, when the draft went down? I th- I went off to like a I went to like a hotel. I just went and got a hotel room. By yourself? Yeah, I was at home with at for the draft and then I just left and just got a hotel room and I was like, man, I don't feel like watching this stuff right now. Okay, so hold on. So you're at home watching I was at home. watching the draft yeah. with your family. Yes. Family and friends? How many people were there? I don't remember. It was really intimate. Okay. And then Small group. once you were picked you no, left. before I was before I was picked. So everybody came over to the house to watch the draft. Yeah. And then you left. Yeah, I left. <laughs> I was annoyed, dude. I annoyed left by, by like, what? the third when I was okay, the third round hit and I seen a bunch of defensive backs go before me that I that I swore I I, I thought I was better than. Right. So you got mad. Yeah, I got pissed off. And you left everybody and went to a hotel. Listen, they respect my decision, man. I'm not saying they didn't. My family, my family knows me though. They, they weren't, they weren't weird about it. like, oh, damn, Will left us. 
didn't care. Did you like, like take hey. any of the hors d'oeuvres or drinks with you? I mean, I, I, I imagine it was kind of like a party setting, right? No, nah, it was you just had a bowl of chips over. or no, something. Right? It wasn't like a huge draft party, you know, like the video that uh, Fred Van Fleet put out. It wasn't a huge draft party like that. It was like just a, you know, some of my siblings came over. They both did, you know, just had a few people over. Okay, and then yeah, the, the and then the guest of honor split. Peace out, bro. <laughs> so <interesting. laughs> so wild, huh? All right, interesting. Yeah. So. So you clearly you didn't cry. You were throwing things. No, I didn't. I wasn't that type of guy. I didn't throw tantrums. Okay, all right. Yeah, you just left. Anyhow, <laughs> it's good stuff. All right. So as you're watching, here's the other part, and this is fascinating for me from your perspective. I get the TV business. We like to show emotion. We like to catch people in emotional settings, and having kids up there, and kids young men, draft picks, up there with their parents and asking the question, what does it mean? What does it mean for you to, you know, to see your son? Or what do you want to tell your dad you know, what, uh, about this moment? You're going to get an emotional response. Right. Nine times out of ten. If My shoot. dad was emotional. Yeah. When I came <laughs> On home, the phone? <laughs> No, when, uh, no. When I came home, he was excited and emotional. Yeah. You know. So had I, I wish I had stayed so I could stay stay home to see it on TV. But I was, you know, I was, I was really that annoyed. The whole process was stressful alone for me. You mm. know, just, just you know, playing three years at corner, then going to receiver, then going to the Senior Bowl as a corner, and then going to the combine as a receiver. And then when the combine was over, I got asked to stay after and do defensive back drills. Did you ever resent or regret being as flexible and malleable as you were, as agreeable as you were? Hey, what do you want me to do? I'll try to do it. Do you ever feel as if, you know what, if I'd kind of been a little more difficult, maybe, maybe it would have served me? Yeah, I, I trust me. I look back at it a lot. Like There were some times where I'm like, man, I should have been a little more firm mm-hmm. with, with stuff. You know, um, even something as small as this, you know, playing a sport, guys are in particular on what they wear, socks, shoes, cleats, whatever, in your case, soccer boots, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And there was, a, when I got the um, the incoming freshman form for Boston College, they like, hey, what are your glove sizes? What are your shoe sizes? What is your preference helmet? And I, I was so in tune with my gear, I knew not only the helmet style, but the face mask code. So <laughs> I knew wow. the I knew the code to the face mask I wanted. And so I put all that in there and I'm like, man, this is the one face mask I had. And, and if you obviously you look at my office, every face mask is the exact same. Mm-hmm. And this is what I wanted. So when I showed up to BC and I was the number one recruit for the for three years. So I showed up and in my locker, they had the like the new revolution helmet that Peyton Manning wore. And I was like, nah, dude. Like this is not the helmet that I want to wear. Yeah, and they were like, "Well, you got to, all our incoming freshmen are wearing it. You have to wear it." And I'm like, "Dude, like, I this is not this is not what I put on my form at all. Like, I can't play with this helmet." They're yeah. like, "No, nah, you got to wear it. Everyone has to wear it." So I'm like, "All right, what? Well, you know, I did. I was pissed off, and I was like, fine. If everybody has to wear it, then I'll wear it." And I did not like it. And that that helmet bothered me. My, it pissed me off my whole career. I wish I had not 
gone out to practice. I wish I just sat there and stood firm and was like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not. Interesting. Something simple. Yeah. And then same thing too, you know, going, when I had the meeting with my coach, when he asked me to switch to offense, this Mm -hmm. is right after I read, uh, I forget which report it was, but I was number two corner behind Jimmy Williams in the country. Two or three, I forget. I know it was top five. And I just read that. He brought me to the office and said, hey, we need you to think about, you know, playing some receiver. I was like, no way. (laughs) And I left. So I had another meeting. Same thing. I was like, it's not happening. Hmm. And then had another meeting. I mean, they were really, really pushy. And I was like, okay, I'll try out receiver. And if it works out, I still get to play defense. I get to play both ways. Hmm. So... I tried a receiver, and not only did I like do well, but I won the starting X job, which is the main receiver. Yeah. yeah. So that means I was going to play majority offense and then some sub on defense. And I just did that because I looked at the bigger picture. I'm like, okay, we graduated three senior receivers that were really good for us, you know, in our system. Hmm. And the only guy that was really dangerous with the football was a punt returner who played corner, and it was me. So I'm like, okay, if I go over here, we have Matt Ryan, who's gonna, who's a good, really, really good quarterback. Yeah. He's gonna, is gonna be there on the money. And I love having the football. That's how I got recruited. I was, I had the football in my hands. And so I'm like, all right, I'll do it if it's gonna help us. So there is, there are certain things where I wish I was more firm. I'm glad I switched to offense to help our team. However, to your point. It gave me incredible value hmm. in the NFL. It, it allowed me to play a multitude of positions. Even there was one point in Jacksonville where Justin Blackman got suspended, um, our receiver, and a couple of other guys were injured. And Dave Caldwell and Gus Bradley knew my history. They said, this dude was an all-ACC receiver. So I had to stay after with Chad Henney and Blaine Gabbert and literally just run routes and catch passes for them. They wanted to see like, hey, you know, I know it's been a while. Can he still do this stuff? Yeah. And I ended up becoming an emergency receiver and I had a short package just in case they needed me to go in on Sunday. Interesting. You know, so I still return punts. So, yeah. So if the the TV broadcast crew, if the NFL Network had called and said, hey, we want to put a camera on you and your dad when you get drafted or we want to interview you with your dad when you get drafted, would you have done it? Yep. And would you have cried in that situation? Nope. Hmm. Are you sure? You're sure. Positive, man. It takes, I, I can't get emotional, but it takes a lot for me to cry. Gotcha. It does. Gotcha. This is why, I, it felt, I, look, I love now, seeing. Now, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Yeah. If I had a camera on me and I got taken in the first two rounds, I would have cried. <laughs> okay, because it would have exceeded your expectation? It would have met my expectation. Okay, all right. Like, damn, this is what I This is, this what, is, I, this is what I, what I sacrificed for. Yes. for. Got you, got this you. This is why I switched, you know, after switching. And it's, it's crazy because even talking to my coaches now, then, mm. I ran into one of my coaches at the Under Armour All-American camp i actually helped coach that and my coach he's he runs the whole program there and he was like like, oh i remember will at bc you know he was like yeah man we 
you know, we, we totally messed him up, man. We messed him up. Wow. I was like, he was like, yeah, we, you know, when you came over, we knew like, man, you had first round potential and, and we, we totally, we totally screwed it up for you. In terms of having you play wide receiver. If you just played DB, me, you, know, you would have been a first round pick a, as a DB. Going to, me going to offense God, totally dang. screwed me up. He said, yeah, we did, man. And I, and I, I just laughed because I already thought about all that stuff. Yes. No doubt. We, yeah, he said, we totally just messed him up, man. This is the same guy that recruited me to go to BC. Yeah. You know? So, man, it's funny. Well, and it's funny how you, you look at the – I mean, we're talking about all this largely because of the, the NBA draft. And I can tell you that there's – I know there, there are guys that – both good and bad. Because of their college system, they end up looking better than they actually are, and they benefit from that. And then there are other guys that aren't featured in it, and – as a result, you don't know all the things that they can do. And like a Jordan. What's that? Michael. <laughs> like Jordan. <laughs> Michael, yeah, Jordan as a as an extreme example. Yeah, but there's other there's other guys and this is the this, this is the other tricky part is that so much of this. And I would say in this particular draft, this goes all the way to Zion Williamson. There's not a guy excluded in this draft that where he goes and how they fit the team around him what coach he has and what system they play, what player development staff they have is going to have a huge influence on who ultimately succeeds. There are, there are a handful of guys every year, not every year, most years. There are a handful of guys who, no matter where they got drafted, they're going to be a success. The level of success, I, I think, still can be influenced by who's running the show. You go to an organization that doesn't have veteran leadership, that doesn't have a, a strong culture. There are so many guys who could have been playing in the league, who could have had quality careers, who never make it out. And, 100%. And as a result, like, we know what bothers me is they're labeled as busts. And it's like, no, 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 no. Don't, like, they're busts. It's not on them. Like, my, Michael Olo Candy, for example. Now, he might have had a contribute. He might have contrib- contributed to it, but the reality is, you get drafted by the Clippers with the way the Clippers were run at that time. Chances are you're not going to be what you could be. Even a guy who ended up being as successful as Lamar Odom, who he was drafted by, what he came up with, like you have to survive that and go someplace. Ron Harper, another example with the Cavs, and when he came in. He ended up making himself into a player. There's, there are guys that end up doing it anyway, but they really have to have something special about them. Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. There are plenty more guys who go to the wrong organization at the wrong time, and they're hopes and dreams are shattered. This is the other thing that I've always wanted to write about. I told Ryan Hollins this, that when somebody is waived, in many cases, and maybe not as much in the NFL, you get another crack at it, but 
In the NBA, largely if you're waived and you're waived early on, your dreams have just taken a turn that you're not going to recover from. You might go play pro in Europe. You might you you might you might be able to continue to play professionally on some level, but chances are, if you're waived, you're not getting another crack in the NBA. Especially if you did not get a chance. Yes. To show anything. Yes. Which which also happens. Well, you get a chance to show it in practice. Like you, That's you true. don't necessarily. That's true. You don't that's necessarily true. get a chance to show it in games, and people probably. But that's what I mean, that. though. Like, but that's but that's where it is, though. You yeah. know, you well, see a lot of you see a lot of practice heroes in the pros, and then once the lights come on, it's like, yo, and vice versa. Guys who may not be great practice players, but they can take it to the next level when the lights come on. There's there are guys like that too. Hundred percent. I have always wanted to write. See, I just I've always wanted to do a story on a guy who's waived, who's 23, 24 years old and gets waived and what that next 48 hours is like. Where do you go from there? And I've never found somebody who's wanted to do it once because nobody's anticipating that they're going to get waived and for the most part. And two, it's a very vulnerable time and I get it. But for me, I would want to do the story because, because it is so human. You've spent your entire life wanting to be this particular thing. And in most careers, in most jobs, like, okay, so you don't get that internship or you, you know, you, you don't get the, the, the first job you apply for or whatever. It doesn't mean you don't have another 20 years to pursue that career. Right. But in professional sports, it's like at a very tender age, it's suddenly, oh, damn. I got to go do something else. And depending on how much that has been your identity and how well you were able to prepare for a second career, it it can be really challenging. And I just, I wish, but see, the teams put out like a three-sentence release and you see it on the tri- ticker. Or you, back when people read newspapers, you'd get the transactions and the really small type in the back of, back of the sports section. And I'd read that and I'd think, God, somebody's life, somebody's somebody's dream just died in this really tiny type. In these these 12 words capture a a fundamental dynamic change in this person's life. And people just kind of happens and we move on. And I've always it wanted is. to give give that give that more and that retrospect for everyone else, that's what it is. It happens and we move on. Um I think a big part of when a player gets drafted, this is what happened. This is where a lot of coaches lack. Is when you get a young player, you get a rookie. The first thing they tell you is, "Hey, man, be a pro. Learn mm. how to be a pro. Mm. Ask some of these vets. Watch so and so. Go be a pro." It's like, dude, I don't know how to be a freaking pro. I just got here. Right. How am I supposed to know what to do? And or- then if you don't, if you don't figure it out. Then it's a wrap. And the reason I mention that is because I trained a cornerback uh, this year, Sean Bunting, out of Central Michigan. He went second round to the Bucks, to the Buccaneers. And everybody write that name down. Sean Bunting Bucks. Follow yes. him. Let's see how he does. Let's he's let's get awesome. a fan. Let's get a he's gonna, he's gonna kill it. A fan. So his going. defensive his cornerback coach is Kevin Ross. 
Kevin Ross texted him damn near every night to make sure that he was studying his playbook. Every night, mentoring him, telling him what to do. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. Hitting him up, letting him know, you know, hmm. these are the things you need to do to be better. That's what you're supposed to do as a coach. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they, don't, they don't know. Right. They don't know how to go here and watch them because they're coming in because they were the guy. You know? Well, there's also, you're saying be a pro, watch how the, how, how the vets do it. That's if you have really good vets. That's if you have vets that are willing to share what it is that they do and that their, and that their habits are right. good Are they pro willing habits. to share? Are they willing to share? Are they going to take time out of their day? Yeah. Well, and not be threatened by the competition. Usually the good vets aren't. They aren't. Okay. The, the good vets. The not, good every vets team, that, not every team has that. No, that's true. But the good vets that are really successful, they're not worried about you. They are aware, so they stay on their toes. Yeah. But they're like, hey, you know, you have a question, ask me. You know, I'll help you. But I'm going to do my part too. You know, I'm going right. to take care of what I take care of. Right. But yeah, that's that's the hardest thing is is guy, guys come in here. Not only are you learning to be a pro, but now you have responsibility. You got to buy or rent a house. You got to buy sure. or rent a car. Got to be an adult. You got to be an adult. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's no class for that in college. Yeah. To be an adult right damn now. Well sh- damn well should be. It needs to the, be. The good agents, the good agents prep guys on that. They well, they try. Yeah. You know, they try. What happens is is usually when you have the combination of parents who are who get it and are involved and agents. When you get that combination, that's where it, it succeeds. I'm glad you brought that up because that brings us back to what I started with, which is the involvement of the parents. And I was kind of struck by John Morant. And there's a lot of video, his dad training him and doing things with him. Dad can still crush it. And and so the involvement of parents on one hand is good, but it can go too far. And I've seen a lot. And like I would say, Lavar Ball is an example of it going too far. Like where does it? And how so though? Because there is supporting your kid. There's doing everything you can for your kid, and then there's utilizing your kid for your own shine. Like, for example, I don't think it was any accident that Jackson Hayes drafted eighth, going to the Pelicans. It was originally the Hawks pick. Jackson Hayes' dad is Jonathan Hayes. Played tight end for the Chiefs and the Steelers. Uh, Longtime tight ends coach for the Bengals. Is now the head coach of the XFL St. Louis team. When Jackson Hayes went up there, who may be in some ways the youngest of the lottery picks in a in a and not just calendar age, just young guy, young kid, blossomed late, didn't start until his senior year, I think, in high school. One year at Texas. Dad was nowhere to be seen. Dad was not up there doing the interview. I don't think that's by accident. I think Jonathan Hayes has been through this. He's like, no, you know what, Jackson? This is your time. You go up there. You go do this deal. Because the reality is, it's going to be your deal going forward. You might as well get used to this now. 
I don't think it's by accident. I don't know that. I don't know that per se. But that's where, and and because with Lavar, like my feeling is Lavar ultimately undermined Lonzo because Lavar and Magic both hyped the kid so much and were such a distraction at times that you didn't focus on Lonzo and what he is. I think he's a pretty good player. I think he's going to be okay. I don't know that he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I don't know that he's going to be an all-star. But he's a good player. But we don't think of him that way. I think this is going to help him change in out of California. Getting tra- Yeah, I think so too. Sometimes you know that's all it takes. Okay, but isn't there, hasn't there already been an opportunity lost with the Lakers? That you have to, like, you have to get Not really. traded. Not really. Sometimes it's that's just how it is. Sometimes you just got to get traded just to get a fresh start. But what did he necessarily do other than the injuries? What did Lonzo do to be as criticized and uh, labeled overrated and take all the grief that he's taken? He didn't come out and say, "I'm going to have my jersey retired by the Lakers." He didn't say, uh, you know, hey, without me, LeBron James can't win championships. Magic and LeVar did all that. That's where I felt bad for the kid. And so, I, that's, my point being, parents can be a little too visible. They can be too involved. I don't believe that all support is good support. There's some support that it's like, hey, you know what? You're not doing your kid any favors. You may have pride, you may have expectations, but you can go too far. I would say Lavar does not have the best timing. I, I can, I can, I can, agree, I can agree with that. He doesn't have the greatest timing, but he loves his kids. Oh, but look, I, hey, and, I'm not saying no, he no, doesn't. I'm not, I'm not saying you did. You said that. I'm not saying you said that. I'm just saying my side that he loves his kids, and. He goes above and beyond, and sometimes when he goes when he goes beyond, it's a little excessive. Now the day I hear I hear his kids saying it's a problem, yeah. If they ever, then yeah, that's you, what are I'm you going to do that as a kid? I don't again? even know that I would. I don't even know that I would do that, even if I felt it, that I would say that publicly about my parents. I might tell them. I might tell them that. I might say, hey, you're not doing me any favors. But I don't know that I would tell the world. Like, I, don't, I, I wouldn't uh, tell the world that. Yeah, I don't think they would do that either. But I, I feel like he's so, he's so chill because he, he dealt with his dad his whole life. So he's probably like, it is what it is. This is just my dad. It is the, what it is. The, you know, it's so interesting because you, Jordan Crawford, who played, played in the NBA, uh, I think he played in China this, this past season was with the Pelicans at the end of last season, the previous season, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I like Jordan. I, I respect Jordan. And I obviously respect you. And I've had... And Jordan, like you, defends LeVar to a certain extent. He says, hey, he's involved in your kid. And, it's, and w- with his kid. He loves his kid. And, I'm, and I don't dispute any of that. But I believe, like, that parenthood requires a little bit more than that. If you're really gonna do what's best for your kid, I I'm not convinced for all that Lavar. I don't question his heart. I don't question his his intention, but his actions and what they've produced, 
I don't think he's done Lonzo completely right. I think he's undermined his kid. It wasn't his intention. I believe that wholeheartedly. It was never his intention. But I don't believe that he's done right by, by Lonzo. That's, I mean, that's debatable, too, because at the end of the day, Lonzo, out of all the brothers, is clearly the best basketball player. Some think LaMelo's better. Well, we'll see, because yes, right now, LeBron, Alonzo went number two in the draft. <laughs> okay. True. True. So we'll see. You know, and I think in terms of... That also, getting, can, that also has to do with the draft that you're in, much like we were talking about this year's draft. I mean, I, I don't know about you, like Zion Williamson is, and I've made this comparison before, he's not Lonzo Ball, but he, I fear that he will suffer from the same thing, from the overhype that Lonzo Ball so. received. I don't think so. Why not? Because he plays, he plays almost like he receives that energy. That's how he plays. I hadn't heard that before. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought. I just, yeah. I feel as if what he's his expected sti- to be at the NBA level. His, his style fits the hype. You know, fit, that's well, what, it, it has fit the hype at the collegiate level. I don't saying, know if that's going to translate to the NBA. I don't think he's. I don't know that he's going to be dunking on everybody in the NBA. That's what just, I'm saying. He just might. He might. He <laughs> might not. He might. He might not. All right. We'll see. So before we ultimately wrap this up, there's one By other way, thing. I Romeo Langford went to the to the Celtics. Just letting you know. Yeah. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. The guy so, I mentioned said, "Watch out for." Went to the Celtics, and we'll see how that plays out. The Celtics, who had a lot of draft picks, and we're already young, and I'm still trying to find that. I'm not going to have Al Horford and Kyrie Irving. Celtics are going to be an interesting story, but I don't know if it's going to be necessarily a a good one. Before we before we depart. I have to ask you, and this is in conjunction with all this other stuff. I saw that Stephen A. put out a a tweet about the the black sons and the black fathers, and how great it was to see black fathers being rep- represented in a supportive role, and to change the narrative on black fathers. How great it was to see that, and I it and maybe. In, in, in the black culture, that it's there, it's it's more cognizant. I've never looked at black fathers and said they're the the stereotype is that they're absentee. I think there's absentee fathers and there's supportive fathers in every walk of life, white, black, whatever. And I don't know. It just kind of you see it. You see it more in sports. I would say, especially in. When you see okay. draft nights, it's always, you know, you always see, you rarely see the dad and the mother with the kid. You usually see the mother. Well, actually, we did see, we, we saw both. We saw some guys with their moms. I just meant in general. I meant yes. just overall, like right. NFL draft, NBA draft. I'm saying those two because you have majority African-American players getting drafted. Right. Um, you rarely see it. So I, and in terms of that narrative, I, I get it. But I mean, this one was just. You know, this was the just just how it was. It was just like the minority in the, in the case. It was a rare case where you saw a lot of present dads there. Yeah. The well, draft. and I guess my question is, 
does it change the narrative seeing that on NBA draft night? Like, I, 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 I don't I know look, because next year you might see no dads. Well, and <laughs> and and I just I feel like you know guys that are unique enough to be in the NBA draft. That's that's like a subset of a society that is so thin and small. The percentage of guys that could qualify that that I'm going to take them and their situation as a reflection of an entire culture one way or the other good or bad I don't know I don't think it doesn't I just it struck me as yeah I, honestly I felt like Stephen A was reaching I thought he was trying to make us this makes a statement that I'm going like nah but I don't that, but that's but that's how it is sometimes sometimes you guys just throw something out there in the ocean and a bunch of fish <laughs> you might get a school of fish biting on that hook just to start just to start something like i got on i got on ryan today because he's arguing with max kellerman about oh. lebron lebron being buried in jordan and i was like dude like is this for is this like a social media strategy you learned from a publicist that you're trying to do yeah, I saw. Or that. are you? Oh, are you practicing to be a defense attorney? I love my you, podcast mates arguing with each other on Twitter. It was entertaining for does. me. But that's what he does, though. He's going to make an argument. He's going to purposely be the antagonist. See, do you think he is? Do see? This is the thing that this is the thing that troubles me, and I'm going to bring it up with Ryan. This is the thing that troubles me with his whole LeBron James is the best player ever. Right? There's a lot of things when it comes to basketball that Ryan and I agree on. That we we see the game in the same way, and and. Um, our, our insights are similar. Our instincts are similar. And then he says, and I don't think he says things just to be outrageous. I do believe that he truly believes these things when he says something. He and, doesn't. He doesn't. He won't go back on his words, so he'll defend it to the death. Okay. Even though, even though you know that he realizes, you know what? I went too far. Maybe LeBron scared the hell out of him one game. See you. The same as I, are looking for an explanation for him to be on that to to take Alleg- that stand. Like, yeah, like uh, like, do you truly feel that way? Are you j- or are you just having fun on TV and and on Twitter? Yeah, like are you? Sometimes people just do that. Like something is something small. So I got invited to um my our son's school's golf outing. It was like a dad's golf outing. Okay. And one guy asked me. One group asked me. I said no. I'm good. I said, maybe. And then another group asked me, and I just like, no. And I just had fun saying no to all these groups <laughs> in some weird psychotic way. Right. And I just feel like with Ryan, he just loves to just go, because you know him, as soon as you, you give him any pushback, he's going to go all in. Right. All right. in. You True. know, just like when he was arguing with Shaq, you know, on first take, yeah. just he'll just go all in. Yeah. Especially, especially when Shaq's like, "Come on, bro." Yeah. Really? Yeah. He just come on. He just loves to do it. Even before I knew Ryan, I was like, "Man, he just loves to argue." He is very, but he's entertaining because he'll he'll go all in. He'd be dead wrong. That's why I was like, "Dude, you should just be a you should just be a defense attorney. <laughs> go find some guy who on camera smiled, waved with his mask off, robbed the bank, and, just <laughs> and you will defend him in court." It wasn't him. Oh, I promise you it wasn't him. God, to see that dude in a as an attorney in a court case. That oh, would, my God. I would pay money for that. I would. Yeah, I would. I'd get absolutely. season tickets. Dude, When's your next he, case, he dude? Would, I'll be would, there. He would, he would win everything. 
All right. That does it for this episode of Buker and Blackman, subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. Uh, keep in mind, we love the ratings. We have 100 top ratings now on iTunes. So thank you, all of you, for that. But continue to rate us however you rate us. Leave us a comment if you like. If not, that's fine too. But screenshot the review and send it to at Buker Friends and you'll be, eligible, you'll be eligible to win some prizes. Uh, in the next podcast, uh, it will be Will and myself once again. I am going to the NBA Awards in LA. Uh, I'm just flying down for the day and flying back. And But I will be there, and we will go over who wins MVP, Rookie of the Year, all of the awards. I'll give you insight into what I see because the red carpet there is like nothing else. Everybody who's anybody in the NBA or around the NBA comes in. I'll get a chance to catch up with a number of people. We'll give you the insight into that. It probably won't come out until Tuesday, the day after, because... I'll be flying back late that night, so we won't be able to record at our usual time. So it'll be out a little bit late, but we will get it out, and Will and I will discuss it at length. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.